School PR professionals spend a week or two each year networking, if they're lucky. We pour into this professional development and the conversations drive us in our work. Collaboration is one of the best parts of our job, but then we go back to our daily work and the buzz of bright conversations and innovation starts to wear off. Welcome to School PR Happy Hour. We seek to create a shared space of collaboration and an opportunity to continue those conversations long after the closing sessions of our state and national conferences. We are a community, a community of communicators that lean on each other in hard times and learn from each other regularly. This podcast is about just that, getting to know each other better and sharing our passions about furthering education one story at a time. Hey everyone, welcome back to School PR Happy Hour. I'm Erin McCann, APR, a communications consultant in the aviation industry and a school PR veteran. Joining me today for my very first season four episode is a name that I know everyone will recognize. I am incredibly excited to welcome Mandy Paleo, APR, to the show. Mandy has more than 13 years of experience in school PR and in a previous life was a television producer. Mandy also has a new career adventure, but I'm gonna let her tell you about that. Join me and Mandy as we tackle a very timely topic and brainstorm on how we can find common ground in a divided community. With midterm elections coming up soon, this feels like a perfect time to revisit the four-step process and brainstorm how to connect with our communities. Hey friends, we're excited to welcome back Class Intercom as our sponsor for season four of School PR Happy Hour. Class Intercom is a social media management tool designed specifically for schools and districts. Class Intercom allows for social media content creation from an unlimited number of users, including students, in a safe and carefully moderated way. It also has built-in reporting and archiving all for one school-friendly price. Learn more today at classintercom.com. All right. Hey, Mandy, so glad that you're here. Oh my gosh, so am I. I'm so excited to talk to you tonight. I'm I'm super excited. I'm excited about what we're going to talk about. And I'm also just excited to get to hang out with you because I didn't get to go to Inspra this year. And last year, and we'll get into this, but last year you were celebrating having achieved your APR. And I think that's the first time we had met in person and your energy was just so amazing and i was and then we've like connected on twitter threads <laughs> since then and i was just i had the worst fomo during inspra like knowing that you guys were all there and having such a good time and you did this beautiful presentation that we're going to talk about so i'm excited to very selfishly get time with just you oh thank you so much i'm honored i'm in, i'm excited to just spend some time with you and just hang out and chat exactly it'll be fun Problem. Let's start off by you just telling us a little bit about yourself, your background, and what brought you to school PR. Sure. So it was kind of a crazy story. When I um, graduated college, actually, way, way back in the 90s, the 1900s, um, I started working immediately at a television station, and I was a news producer for several years. And the the schedule was just absolutely insane. And I was becoming a single parent of two young daughters and I just couldn't do it. So someone was like, Hey, you should check out this job in school PR. And I'm like, okay, I sounds good. The schedule itself was like so amazing compared to, you know, working in news and working overnights and weekends and everything. So, um, and it was a really family friendly job. So I started 14 years ago in school PR 
coming out of journalism and have absolutely loved it. I've grown so much as a person and a mother, um, just having all of that experience in school PR and, of course, being part of NSPRA and NYSPRA and our local school communicator group, you know, really having a lot of really fantastic mentors um, for the past 14 years, which is why I decided to pursue my APR because I had so many mentors and role models in school PR who had their APR. And I just wanted to be, you know, kind of on the same level as them, really become strategic versus like, I don't know, okay, let me just get this test done and that test done. And, you know, just being an everyday tactician and just thinking like trying to be more strategic and feeling like I was qualified to do the job that, you know, I had. And how could I really move the organization forward? And how could I really help my school district as the only PR person in the district? And actually, two years in, I also became the administrative assistant to the superintendent um, because of a retirement. So I have that job, but I'm really focused on the communication coordinator piece and trying to kind of optimize my time. So finally, in April of last year, 2021, with all the craziness of, of COVID that delayed some things, um, I finally got my APR. So it was absolutely amazing just a couple months later to go to NSPRA and get pinned and just have that celebration of people who understood me and had just been through all of COVID with me and were so excited to celebrate APR with me. It was absolutely phenomenal. It was just like the best experience ever. Um, just to have people who really understood the effort that it took. Well, and everyone's so proud of you. Right. People are proud of me. They know the effort that it took and we're just so encouraging. Mm -hmm. So, so that's kind of, you know, I've done a lot, um, you know, with school PR, you kind of do everything, your website, your, your social media, your media relations and everything. So I, you know, I did have, I do have all of that experience under my belt, but getting my APR definitely changed how I did things pretty immediately. Well, congratulations on that one year anniversary. It's so exciting. And I remember standing with Julie Thanum, um, and I think we were on Frenchman street. There was, it was a vendor event and upstairs kind of in this like corner, I remember standing oh, there. Yeah. And when I tell you, you came in like a ball of light and energy and just this giant <laughs> hug from Julie and I've known Julie for years. And it was just, it was a very special moment that I was like hanging on the edges of. So I was excited for you and just to kind of get to be a part of your energy there. It's, it's a cool thing. And we're all very yeah. proud of you. Well, thank you so much. So with your APR, mm -hmm. obviously we, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more, but we know with the APR comes um, or with the knowledge that you learn through the APR process comes studying the problems that we face as school PR practitioners mm -hmm. comes kind of looking at this in a different lens and really like, rolling out a plan that's truly strategic in nature rather than just sort of like putting out fires, putting out right. fires as they right. happen. And so we're going to talk about that, but I want to center this on a session that you did at INSPRA this year with Janet Swykowski, APR from CEL, and that was on searching for common ground in a divided community. Before we go into depth, can you give us kind of a high level? I did sit back and watch that as an INSPRA member. I watched it from afar, but I know it's not the same thing as being in that room with you. <laughs> yeah, so really it was, our focus was just using the RPI process which you learn about in the um, as you study APR, and 
really trying to understand our communities connect because I think even with COVID and um, just politically lately, things have been so contentious. So how can we help our school communicators understand their communities better, understand some of the issues that they could be facing, whether they know it or not yet, um, as they're approaching the new school year. So I had done a session um, at the state level for NYSPRA and, you know, Janet has done some similar uh, presentations um, for other state chapters. So we were just like, you know what, we, she was one of my APR mentors. And so with the two of us decided that we wanted to pitch this together and really, um, I think it was huge. The, it was so important because of coming out of, you know, you're coming out of COVID and you've got these parents and family members and community members who don't even have kids in school who are really divided about masking Mm -hmm. and vaccines and, you know, social distancing, whatever it was. So how could we kind of prepare school PR, whether it is new, you know, or experienced school PR people, how can we help them prepare for the coming school year as we're heading into midterm elections to really um, kind of preemptively and proactively prepare for those difficulties? Maybe it's not the exact same topic for every school PR person, but just giving them kind of an outline of what are you looking for? What things do you need to consider? Uh, and how do you measure that and everything? So that was really our goal was how can we help school PR pros who are most likely, you know, a, a single person PR team or from a very small team, how can we help them prepare for these really big issues that we're going to be facing in the 22-23 school year? Well, and I think you said you said that key term there that I really connected with, and that's midterm elections, because we know that that's coming up. This episode is coming out mid-September. In just a couple of months, people are going to be going to the polls and they're going to be making some pretty big decisions around midterm elections. In Texas, it's particularly, it's a it's a large conversation right now about the, the race for governor. And I'm sure that it is the same across the country as far as like very opposing viewpoints and very active political ads. And that, that pol- the politics spill over into our local communities Um, even just as far as like community engagement. And so um, Janet gave this great example, which I'm going to let you tell because this was your presentation. But when she was talking about the perception of someone coming in and watching a school board meeting and what that protocol looks like. So I don't want to get too too far ahead there, but I do want to kind of talk about something that you said there a minute ago, and that's really that issues anticipation and management piece. And so knowing that we're walking into these elections and knowing that we're coming off several years of kind of big things that we're having to deal with in our school communities and divided communities, what would be the first step that you would suggest to somebody, maybe somebody new in the field, maybe somebody who's somewhat of a veteran, to start to lay the groundwork in a strategic fashion so that they're ahead of the game and not being reactionary? I think one of the most important things really a starting point in secondary research, you know, go to census.gov and look at what is the makeup of your community? Mm -hmm. What um, on social media, what are the topics people are talking about? Who in the community is reaching out to you with concerns? I think understanding your specific community 
and their issues ahead of time. So you know what could be coming up. What's going on politically in your area? What, what concerns have parents brought in the past? Um, obviously, like masking and vaccines is going away, but they're looking for other ways to uh, kind of be in charge and run the school district more than they ever have mm-hmm. before. You know, they want to have more say. They don't understand the process. So what information can you put out ahead of time to help people understand kind of the do's and the don'ts and who does what kind of thing. How can you share? I mean, even with school boards right now, right? Mm -hmm. We've got a lot of people who are running for school boards similar to to, um, midterm elections. Like they are like completely divided. You've got a really divided community politically and it's much more divisive than it ever has been. And so you've got those people running for the board. So how are you helping your incoming board members understand you know, what districts can and cannot do, state law, you know, the state education law, health department, you know, like we've had board members who want to come in and rewrite curriculum. And, you know, it's like, well, that's not your role. So I think number one is how do you help? How are you making sure that you're sharing that information of what is a board really made up of? How can communities get involved? Where can their voice be heard? And again, just looking at social media, I think we did that a lot at Churchville is just what are the things that are starting to pop up, whether we see them or we have community members, you know, telling us or giving us a heads up on something and doing your research and planning, what are your responses going to be ahead of time? What are the issues specific to your community that you already know about or that people have shared about? And how can you address them in a way that reaches the people you want it to reach mm-hmm. in a timely fashion, but also preparing your staff and your administrators and your board members with the same kind of information? I think it's really important that everyone has that shared message. So starting really closely internally and making sure that it ripples out to all of your staff as it's going out or before it goes out to your community to really understand here's what we're facing, here's what's being asked of us, here's what we can do, here's what we can't do, and preparing those messages ahead of time. You know, in in academia, there's this whole idea around the research process that's called kind of community-based research. And so there's this concept of creating an advisory board. And that's something that we do in school PR as well. And that's really finding those kind of opinion leaders in our district what advice would you give to help build that advisory board? Maybe you don't call it an advisory board. Maybe you just know that there's one woman who has coffee at the diner every single Tuesday at nine. And she always knows. I mean, how, how do you go out, build those relationships in the community and find the right community connections to help to take care of exactly what we're talking about? Well, I think that's key. Relationship building. You know, I think it starts with answering your phone being candid with people and not being afraid to give voice to people whose opinion may not be your own opinion. Mm. You know, I think it's important that as school communicators that you really have to, as difficult as it is, and school leaders as well, to really remove your personal um, beliefs or stances because you could have a bias towards somebody who because they they may not be in alignment with you, 
has a really great idea or, or, you know, is, has a really great ask and would be beneficial to the community. But if you have a bias against them and you're like, ah, they're a little left wing or right wing or whatever, that you're not letting them have a voice. So you want to really be careful that you're checking yourself at the door. Administrators are checking themselves, like check your biases and then make sure that everybody has a voice. You know, one of the things I have always said in my district, if you're going to be surveying people, asking questions, they're going to take the time to to respond to your survey, then make sure you're giving them the results. So you're asking for feedback and you're saying, here's what you said. And I think that's key in building those relationships and helping people building that advisory board is being like, okay, I know that you're listening to us. I know mm-hmm. that X, Y, and Z changed because you had community members come in and do that. We've we changed the whole capital project, made it bigger, uh, and and increased the cost of it because we had families coming in and saying, "Here's what we really need," and and so every opportunity you can provide to your community to make sure their voice is heard and you share back. What are we doing? This is what you said. Here's what we're doing. And sometimes it is, this is what you said, and this is policy, regulation, state law. We can't do it, but we did hear you. We did research this. We did look into it, and mm-hmm. here's what we we are able to do and what we are able to address. Just that true transparency. Yeah, true transparency and trust, because if your community doesn't trust you, if they don't, if they don't really think like, they're going to have a voice, you're not going to build that advisory board. And it's so important to have diversity of voice, diversity of thought, because richer things come out of that. Better change comes out of that. More effective change comes out of that. But it starts with having those relationships and building trust with your community. It's almost kind of that King Arthur idea, right? That King Arthur was the leader, but he had the table, he made the table round so that no one was no one was in a lesser position than anyone else. Everyone had an equal seat at that table. I love the way that you said that. Right. And I think that's what we do. Everything is a round table. So you've gone to all of this trouble and you've got this rich, beautiful research. What's next in the four-step process, Mandy? Planning. So taking your research, what do people want to know? What are we looking at? Um, and how are we going to use that information to draft messages? Who are our key audiences? Who do we need to reach with the information? And you're going to have multiple audiences. You're going to have, you know, depending on what it is, you're going to have students and staff and family and the greater Rochester community. You're going to have your board of education and administration and and local media and probably your greater community as well. People who in uh, other schools, um, are going to be an audience. So identifying your audiences, identifying the specific messages for them, what do they need to know? Because everybody doesn't need the same information, right? You're not going to tell um, the entire community to sit or share this exact same message in the same way with the Board of Education as you would your larger community. So really understanding those separate audiences, the information that they need to have, and, and the best way to deliver that. Do they want face-to-face meetings? Do they want emails, phone calls, social media posts? And you're crafting those messages um, really to reach those audiences the way they want to be reached and making sure that when you're doing social, and this is huge, 
Social media is meant to be social. It is there for feedback. So taking that feedback, thanking people that they're, you know, responding to posts and comments and that um, they've been heard. So when you're doing social media, it's not the same as posting to the website where there's no comment section. (laughs) So make sure that you're open to those comments and you're posting that in a way that can be conversational and can be two-way communication. And then planning out what what tools you're going to use, how often you're going to do that, really just doing every single piece of the planning of of how are we going to get this message out and in multiple ways to each audience as well. Hey, friends, I'm Susan Brott, APR and Senior Strategist with CISO Communications, and this is your CISO Top Tip. Over the past year, my CISO colleague, Julie Thanum and I have had the honor of speaking with school PR professionals across the country about how to communicate when things get tense and difficult in your community. This is something we all have or will have to deal with. As Julie likes to say, you are either standing on your porch waiting for the storm to approach, you are in the middle of the storm, or you have just gotten through the storm. We've all been in one of these points of the storm over the last few years, dealing with a global pandemic, anti-CRT protests, racial unrest, mask mandates, book challenges, you name it. Sadly, these challenges are not going away. We need to expect that at some point, we will have to deal with these issues or a new one that is yet to be named. I want to share with you some tips for responding when the inevitable storm hits allowing you to stay focused on your story and not just responding to the criticisms of others. First, stay grounded where your students are, in the middle. Stay focused on the needs of your students, not adults. Avoid getting mired in the political debate. Your detractors will try to say you are politicizing issues or advancing a particular agenda. But what you are really doing is focusing on the needs of the students in your care helping them to be prepared for an ever-changing global world. You are focused on the future of your students and what skills they need to navigate it. Next, create an atmosphere of transparency, not defensiveness. It is our responsibility in schools to provide parents with opportunities to review their child's curriculum, ask questions of knowledgeable school leaders, and to understand why some critics may be creating or spreading disinformation. By staying transparent, you are dispelling the myth that you are hiding things from them. Keep parents focused on the needs of their student, not the students of other families, and answer their questions openly and honestly. Finally, create opportunities for authentic engagement, not only between you and your stakeholders, but also among them. Model dialogues in which participants can share their experiences, perceptions, and questions while also listening to those of others. This is your opportunity to create environments where people in your community can come together to seek solutions and enhance connections, to bridge the divide so rampant in our communities today. So whether it is the fervor of midterm elections, challenges to the books in your school's library, or change initiatives in your district, we all will be experiencing a storm of criticism in the near future. By controlling your narrative, creating spaces for authentic engagement, and modeling constructive and respectful conversations, you will be able to refocus adults on the needs of each and every student in your school community. For more information on CISO Communications, visit our website at thecisocom communications, or follow us on our social channels at CISOcom. At CISO, we focus on partnering with schools 
to rethink possible. Um, I think I think any of us who've worked in school PR for for a couple of years at least enough to have kind of a robust experience have so many feelings and thoughts about social media as a communication channel. We all understand the value. It's not going anywhere. We have to embrace it. But it can be a little scary to truly wrap our arms around using it as two-way communication the way it was intended to, because that feels frightening. Right. We have to hold ourselves extremely accountable. They're expecting us to be transparent. Therefore, we must be transparent. And I can tell you from my own experience, that, that makes some school officials, not even the school PR practitioners, but the actual officials a little higher up the food chain, that makes them pretty nervous. Yeah, very nervous. Especially like if somebody says one negative comment, they're like, you've got to respond. You've got to, you know, call them out or hide the comment. Or Just give it a minute. I always do, right? Because it's like mm -hmm. they tend to correct themselves. If there's not misinformation obviously if there's misinformation i'll jump in there and be like okay well here's where you can find a resource with that information and whatever but sometimes people are just venting and you let them vent and then other parents come in and you know answer the questions or tell them where they're wrong or you know the kinds of things you wish you could do but let other parents do it because sometimes those are the people they're going to listen to right if a fourth grade right. fourth grade parent is telling another fourth grade parent dude relax we're going to get that information. You must have missed the email or it was posted on the website or whatever. You know, it doesn't come off as like defensive or like making people feel like they're ignorant because they didn't see it on the website or they missed the email or whatever. But, you know, allowing parents to kind of have that uh, back and forth as well and kind of correct each other and call each other out um, and share resources with each other. That's one of my favorite things about social media is when a parent gets on there and was like, oh no, they sent this in an email and here's a link to this and here's a link to that. So sometimes you just have to be patient with social media. Let let parents, you know, let them vent and they, they'll, you know, police, police themselves a little bit. And uh, it's always a positive outcome when they get kind of having those conversations. So kind of ride the wave a little bit. And you're right. It is very difficult for officials who it's not part of their everyday uh, workload. <laughs> you know, they don't have as much experience in it as us. So they are a little, you know, hesitant and let's hide all comments or let's not let, they, let people make comments. Okay. Well then that's not a social media post. This is not, <laughs> this is not two-way communication if we don't let them communicate back. So there's a little learning curve for, uh, all the district officials sometimes as well. But in the end, I think, you know, with, if your community feels like they've been heard and they have a place where they really can have a voice, even if it is not positive, you're building those relationships. You're building that trust. I love the way that you just said that. First of all, I believe that if you can let the chat room champions do the work, then you're already winning because you don't have to come in and look like big brother. Right. The way that you just said that about, the engagement and the true relationship building, even when it's not positive. And, you know, I think we all can immediately think of a few examples of people who have commented on our district social media that we're never going to win over. Right. Those people exist. And sometimes you just have to truly understand that you're not going to win that one constituent and that's okay. But I also subscribe to the idea that the majority of the people talking are talking because they want what's best 
and maybe they don't understand. And so through time and through responsiveness, even when it's not the answer they want to hear, you do start to build some credibility that at least they will be getting an answer. So I just really appreciate your perspective there. Of course. And I think you, you hit the nail on the head with that. Like as long as we, if we can bring everybody back to what do you, what are you looking for? I want the best for my kids. We want the best for all students. That's why we're here. Our focus is the students. We want what's best. Maybe parent A and parent B don't see, you know, don't define that the same. And the district has restrictions, so that's not Mm -hmm. defined the same. But if we can continue to bring people back and say, yeah, we don't agree on everything, but we have the same goal. It's all about the kids. We want the best for every student. You know, every parent wants what's best for their child. We want what's best for all students. We want to see all students succeed. So we may get there differently than, you know, you would like us to, but that we all have a shared goal. And if we can continue to bring people back, regardless of where they stand, that we all really do want the same thing, even if we see it in a very different way, you are going to have that, that trust and that, okay, well, I don't like it, but I get it, you know, kind of attitude and that, and you're just going to sometimes have to take it. I don't get it at all. I don't agree. But, okay, I'll deal. (laughs) Okay, we've talked about the first two steps of the four-step planning process, and those are two of the big ones. Why don't you walk us through the other two steps as well? Because we want to make sure we complete that circle every time. Sure. So um, the last two are implementation and evaluation. And they are exactly how they sound. Implementation. What are your messages? What tools are you using? And you're doing it. If you're going to send three social media messages on Friday, if you're going to send a press release on Monday, whatever those, whatever you put together in the planning process, whatever those messages are, you're doing the work. You're actually sending out the messages. You're doing the posts. You're, you're reaching out to your community. You're implementing the plan to make sure that you're using all of the channels that you have planned to use and sharing all of the messages with all of the audiences as you had planned. So whoever's job it is, they're getting it done. This is the work phase. This is the let's roll it all out and and hope that we are reaching everybody and sharing the messages that we had planned to send with who we wanted to, to send them to in the time that we wanted to send them. So that is implementation. It's just the work. It's just you've done all the research and you've done the planning and now it's just getting it done according to the timeline that you've set. And then last is evaluation. Again, just what it is. What did you have planned at the beginning? What was your goal? What did what objectives did you want to attain? And did you meet those goals? Did you get the messages mm-hmm. to the right people? Did they receive them well? Um, did you get what kind of feedback did you get? You're looking at that. Was there maybe an audience that you missed? And you're, okay, well, now we've got to go back and correct that for the next time. So, so your evaluation of how did everything go? How did we reach people? What did we learn? What should we do differently? That evaluation piece then becomes your research for the next step. And this, you know, the kind of circle continues, you continue on that loop, but you use that evaluation to measure everything you did, what worked, what didn't. So what are we going to use again? What are we not going to use again? Who did we miss that we need to include? What was effective? What, you know, didn't, you know, people, what was something people didn't connect with that? Okay. We're not going to use that piece. You know, so many times when you're not really working on the RPI process, you're just 
throwing everything at the wall, whatever sticks, sticks. And then the next time around, you're doing the same thing. So you're putting in a lot of effort in areas that you don't need to put effort into. So that's the importance of the research and then the evaluation of the whole process is, is not wasting effort and also making mm-hmm. sure that it's effective. So Mandy, I think I already know how you're going to answer this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because everyone has the same answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What is your favorite step of the ARPI process? Oh, everyone has the same, probably implementation. Like when you get to do all the stuff, like I, I do, I enjoy doing it. And that's like the easiest piece. Like if you look at the research on the ARPI process and you're talking to APRs who use it all the time. The implementation piece is the easiest piece because that's the piece you've done from the beginning. Like it's, it's the work, it's the tactics, it's the checkbox of, oh, there's, you know, social media posts, check, <laughs> news article, check, you know, so just getting all of that done and out. Um, so I feel like that's the easiest piece. So it's the favorite piece because all of the work that you've led up to it is kind of like, oh, I can finally do it. <laughs> Am I right? Does everybody else say implementation? Actually, almost everyone says research. So I love hearing a different answer because I think that that, you know, what that does is that proves to me why this is such a robust process, because in the field of school PR, we have so many different kinds of practitioners. I mean, we have introverts, we have extroverts, we have people who love research, Mm -hmm. we have people who are measurement people. And clearly your favorite part is the implementation. It's the going and doing. So I actually kind of love that that was your answer. (laughs) Yeah, because it's just, I think it's fun, especially when it's like social media. So you get, you start that interaction with people and seeing how people are reacting, Mm -hmm. you know, like, I just love that, that, I guess it's the extrovert in me, that piece of connecting with people and interacting and seeing how it works. That's wonderful. Thank you as well for all of, for framing this entire conversation in the context of the four-step process, because we have several new listeners to the show Mm -hmm. that during season three were very active on Twitter and engaging with our content that talked specifically about the APR process. And they were asking, what is the APR? Why do I need an APR? And it was people who had been doing it for five, six, seven years who could talk Mm -hmm. about either they had their APR and could talk about how it changed their practice, or maybe they were people who were working towards their APR and could talk about the value. So I think any time that we can provide great school PR content on this podcast and leverage it back to why this structure works and why it's this you know, the highest level of accreditation that we can get as a a PR practitioner. I just, I really appreciate the expertise that you brought to the show today. And I particularly appreciate the framework you came in with. Yeah. And that was, you know, from the beginning, Janet and I are like, we're the whole presentation is going to be our our pie process, whether it's new practitioners or even people who already have their APR. This is how things are easiest, like done with consistency and done well Mm -hmm is by using the RPI process. So it was, it it was definitely important to us. And I think, you know, those are some of the most valuable professional development opportunities as when you can have that consistent base of the process through whatever you're working on and working through. So I was so excited to just be here and talk about it. Janet and I had a ton of fun and I'm, I was just floored that I was invited to on to this amazing podcast. And I'm, yeah, I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) It was so fun. 
<laughs> I am so excited to have you. But I do. So there's a question that we try to ask all of our guests kind of towards the end of our episodes. Justin is much better about remembering to ask this than I am, but I am remembering today. So Justin, if you're listening, I expect you to acknowledge this on Twitter that I am being compliant. But Mandy, since all of us work or worked in education, who Mm -hmm. was an educator that influenced your life? Okay. Number one, my mother. Um, because I was homeschooled. So I, one of nine kids and we were homeschooled. So she was, you know, my primary educator for the majority of my, you know, I I think I was second grade, second or third grade when I started homeschooling through high school. And then Dr. Alvira Berry, Dr. Berry was the best, like everything. When I got to college, that professor, my advisor was everything. Um, just the encouragement and support she gave me, the understanding of my background, the value she had in my voice and my writing was just so beyond encouraging. I mean, just made me fall in love with communication. And so, yeah, it's those those two for sure. My mom and Dr. Barry. That's amazing. Mandy, thank you so much for coming on today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Big thanks to Mandy Paleo, APR, for joining me on this episode and sharing her wisdom about working with divided communities and remembering how to use our four-step RPI process in everything that we do. Mandy, your wisdom is so valued and we really appreciate you taking the time to come on and join us. Thanks for listening to School PR Happy Hour. If you have an idea for an episode in season four, reach out to us at schoolprhappyhour at gmail.com. And until next time, Let's all try to be a little bit better at our jobs every day.